0: Our reading today is Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. shall go down into the depths of the earth they shall be given over to the power of the sword they shall be a portion for jackals but the king shall rejoice in god all who swear by him shall exult for the mouths of liars will be stopped this is the word of god
1: amen thank you brad thank you worship team harvest you may have a seat Great time of worship. My soul is full. Well, Harvest, again, I I introduced myself earlier, but again, I'm I'm Ryan Jackson and I'm I will be filling the pulpit this morning for our senior pastor. And I want to ask you a question. What do you think of when I say desert? Maybe you think of sand, maybe you think of heat. Maybe you think of no water, desert. Maybe you think of snow, because technically Antarctica is a desert, and we've had a touch of that the last couple weeks. You might say we've been living in a desert of sorts. Well, let me ask you another question. Are you dry? I don't mean thirsty. I mean... Spiritually, are you dry? David writes Psalm 63 from a position of spiritual dryness. and He shares some things with us in this psalm of how we can respond to the Lord when we find ourselves in a place of spiritual dryness. What, what is spiritual dryness? Simply put, To be spiritually dry is to not sense the presence of the Lord. To not sense. We have that inner sense of the presence of the Lord. Do we not? Did you sense the presence of the Lord while we were worshiping him this morning? I certainly did. But to be spiritually dry means you don't have that sense. It's not that the Lord leaves you because he is faithful. He never leaves it's not that you lose your salvation because that's not possible. The Bible teaches that. It's simply when we for whatever reason do not sense the presence of the Lord in our life. What do we do during those times? I'm going to challenge you from the text that that David gives us three things that we do when we're spiritually dry, so harvest. Are you dry? Are you ready to jump in? If you're ready, say go. All right. Psalm starts off in Psalm 63. And in in many of your Bibles, there should be a heading that reads like this, a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Does your Bible have that? It should, because that's actually part of the Hebrew text. And in fact, in the Hebrew Bible, that's verse 1 telling us what was going on, and not all psalms have a heading. Sometimes we have no idea what's going on when the psalmist writes the psalm. Sometimes we get a little snipshot, and that's what we have right here, just a little picture of what's going on in David's life when he writes this song. And he tells us that he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, people who are a lot smarter than me have said that there's two possibilities here. One, he could be running from Saul. If you know the life of David, you know that he was not the first king, Saul was anointed king, and then Saul failed God, God rejected him, and so God turned to David, and David was anointed by the prophet Samuel. He was anointed, but he wasn't king yet, and a lot of things happen in there. He ends up having to flee for his life because Saul is pursuing him, Saul wants to kill him. And it could be that he wrote this psalm while he was in the wilderness running from Saul, or... What is more likely is that he wrote this psalm when he was running from Absalom. Absalom, you may remember, is his son. And Absalom wanted the kingship and and, and basically started an insurrection, and David had to flee for his life. And I say that's more likely because you may have picked up on it as Brad was reading. In verse 9, he refers to himself in the third person as the king, And although he could have said that when he was running from Saul, he wasn't technically fully king yet. So it's most likely he's running from Absalom. But either way, David finds himself in the wilderness of Judah, running from enemies, running for his life. And he finds himself in a place of spiritual dryness. What does he do? Look at verse 1 with me. He cries out, Oh God, you are my God. Oh God, you are my God. Now, if you know anything about David, you know that David had a personal relationship with the Lord. His relationship with the Lord was very personal. And he refers to that here in this first line where he says, Oh God, you are my God. Oh God, I claim you as my God. Even though I'm in this, this place of spiritual dryness, I claim you as my God. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. That Hebrew word for soul there is the word Nephesh. Nefesh. Nefesh, Hang on to that because we're going to come back to that word a lot. The word nefesh does mean soul or inner being or feelings or desire. He says, my nefesh is dry. But the interesting thing about this word is it can also be used for the human throat. So there's kind of a play on words going here. David is saying my soul my nefesh is dry just like my throat would be dry for water my nefesh is dry are you dry how's your soul this morning David says my soul my nefesh thirsts for you my flesh my bashar my body faints for you that word faints literally literally means changes color Going pale, going dark, I yearn so much for the Lord, I thirst so much for the Lord, I faint for the Lord, I need the Lord. Why? Look, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water, as in a dry and weary land. Now he tells us that he's in the wilderness of Judea, of Judah, sorry. And he compares the state of his soul to his surroundings. It's beautiful poetry. It's as if David is walking along or fleeing, and he looks out on the wilderness and he says, This is my soul right now. This is what I feel right now. This is how barren my nephesh is because I don't sense the presence of the Lord, because life is heavy, life is dry. Oh God, you are my God. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place of spiritual dryness? Has your Nephesh ever longed for the Lord because you felt empty, dry, barren? What do we do in times like this? I remember there was a time in college... Not because of circumstances, but honestly, because of some poor personal choices, I found myself in a state of spiritual dryness. I could not sense the Lord, and I've desperately wanted to sense him. I remember listening to music, trying to to make myself feel the Lord. Dry. Are you dry? What are some things we can do when we're dry? Here's point number one. Remember God's precious presence remember God's precious presence. Look at verse two. David says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. David is recalling the past. He's not in the sanctuary. But he thinks back to the times that he was in God's sanctuary. He thinks back to the times that he did feel God's presence, that he did sense the presence of the Lord. The word sanctuary here, of course, that's a reference to the tabernacle, and you might remember that the tabernacle was a, a portable temple, so to speak, that moved around. They, they, Moses actually had it built, and they would take it up and move, and then they would set it up when they camped. And David's been there. He's been to this sanctuary. He's been to the tabernacle. He has been in the presence of the Lord. And he's thinking back to that in verse 2. He recalls seeing God's power and glory, which refers to God's great works. There's a commentator who wrote an entire series on the book of Psalms named Alan P. Ross, and he has this to say. To see God's power and glory means to witness the powerful and glorious things that God did. And since this was in the sanctuary, it probably refers to the praise of the people for these things. What he now longs for in the wilderness is what he witnessed in the past to see the evidence of God's powerful and glorious presence. So when we find ourselves in a place of spiritual dryness, remember the precious presence of God. And I would challenge you, in a time of spiritual dryness, or actually previous to times of spiritual dryness, make worship memories. We love making memories, do we not? We love making memories as family, or making memories on trips, or making memories at Christmas time, or whatever. Make worship memories. Maybe you even already have some where you can think back to a time of worship that was powerful and meaningful, and you sensed the presence of the Lord, it was almost tangible to you. make worship memories doesn 't have to be here, although this is a great place for it. It could be at a concert, it could be when you 're driving alone in your car, singing away to the Lord, and you have a time of great worship. I have some of those in fact i 've thought back on them this week as I 've been studying this text. I remember in 2010. I went to a men's conference, and the worship there was amazing. And it was particularly amazing for me because for the first time in my life, I I truly just kind of let go of my self-conscious awareness of being in a crowd of people and just worshiped the Lord. And it was powerful. And I can think back to that during times of spiritual dryness when I can't sense the Lord. And I would challenge you, make worship memories so that at times of spiritual dryness, you can hearken back to, no, 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 no. I have sensed the Lord. He is real. I have had experiences with the Lord. He hasn't left me. Just like David, make worship memories. So remember the precious presence of God. Here's point number two. Intimately commune with God intimately commune with God. Verse three reads this, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Praise, bless, remember, meditate, sing, cling. These are verbs that describe David intimately communing with the Lord. He's in a place of spiritual dryness as well in a place of physical dryness and yet he chooses to commune with the Lord and he uses eight verbs here to commune or seven verbs sorry to commune with the Lord. He doesn't let his distance from the sanctuary stop him from talking to God. You know interesting thing enough we have something different in the New Testament we have the Holy Spirit living inside us do we not? We are always in the presence of the Lord. If David didn't let being distant from the sanctuary stop him from communing with God, then we have no excuse. We have no excuse. These verbs here David uses to express how he communes with the God. Let's just break this down. Look at verse 3 again. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Praise you. That word praise there that literally means literally means there to to point to God, literally means to, to worship God, literally means to call out to God because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Why does he praise? Because your steadfast love is better than life. Your Hesed love, your covenant love is better than life. One of the reasons David gives to praise the Lord is because the love of God is better than life. Now, life gives good things, does it not? There's good things about life. In fact, we we just finished a series in Ecclesiastes, and, and several times throughout the series, Pastor Tony encouraged us to enjoy the good things that are in life, the good things that God has given us. But David says here, your love is better than that. Life does give good things, but you know what? life also over-promises and underdelivers, Does it not? Life over-promises and under-delivers. We hear messages from the world all around us to chase our dreams. And if you do that, there's nothing wrong with that, but if you make that your God, it's gonna underdeliver. We hear messages all the time about chasing romance, find that special someone, and there's nothing wrong with that. God created romance. But if we make that our God... If we look to that to satisfy, it'll underdeliver. David is saying here, the only thing that truly satisfies, the only thing that's worth praising is the fact that God loves us. That God's love is better than anything this life could give. So I will praise you. Verse four reads, so I will bless you. As long as I live in your name, I will lift my hands. The word bless there, our second verb there, bless means to enrich the Lord's reputation. I will enrich the Lord's reputation. I will bless the Lord. Every time you take a stand for Jesus, you are enriching his reputation. You're blessing him. And David said, it doesn't matter that I'm in a place of spiritual dryness. It doesn't matter that I'm walking around running from my life. I am still going to bless the Lord. I am still going to proclaim him. I'm still going to point people to him. I am still going to enhance his reputation. I will bless the Lord even at a point of spiritual dryness. He says, in your name, I will lift my my hands. Now, lift up hands, you know, that is an expression of praise. Many of you do that when we sing worship. That's great, but notice why he does that, or notice how he does that. He says, in your name, I will lift my hands. In your name, that phrase there, in your name, that literally means because of who you are. When Moses was confronted by God and said, who are you? Who do I tell the people of Israel they are? God says, you tell them I am that I am. Yahweh. To praise God in his name is to praise God for who he is. That it doesn't matter what's going on in my life. It doesn't matter that I'm at a point of spiritual dryness. It doesn't matter that I can't sense you right now, God. I praise you simply for who you are. I praise you for who you are. I bless you as long as I live. He says in verse five, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. It's a different word for praise there. It's the word hallel where we get the word hallelujah. He says, I will hallelujah, I will shout hallelujah, I will praise you with joyful lips. And look what what he looks forward to, my soul, my nefesh, by the way, same word, my nefesh will be satisfied. He's looking forward to the time when the spiritual dryness is over and the presence of the Lord is felt and sensed once more. My nefesh will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My inner life. Will be satisfied. And he compares He compares the the dryness of his soul and the and the satisfaction that God brings. He compares that to rich food. It's like my soul, my nephesh will be satisfied as my body is satisfied with good food. Can I tell you a story? Back in November. Our family went to Florida to visit my brother-in-law and his family. And while we were there, he made for us these two-inch thick ribeye steaks. Sorry to be talking about this before lunch, but that was rich food. I dream about those steaks, I tell you. It was good. And my stomach was satisfied, much so. David saying, My nephesh will be satisfied like that. My soul will be satisfied like rich food satisfies me. When, look at verse 6, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, my soul will be satisfied when I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night two more verbs here the word remember is the is the is the verb zakar it means to call to mind to think about to ponder he says i'm going to think about you i'm going to call you to mind i'm going to remember you i'm going to meditate on you hala on you to 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 meditate here literally means to mutter to mutter. Now, have you have you have you ever been thinking about something so hard that you you found your lips were moving to your thoughts? You know, what I'm saying you, you were mouthing your thoughts. You ever done that? Anybody? Just me? Okay, good. There's a few of you out there. Good. Yeah. Sometimes I, I I'm guilty of doing that, where I'm thinking about something so hard, my lips are moving, and Heather's like, "What are you talking about?" And I'm like, "I'm sorry. Just thoughts going crazy here." Guilty. But that's what he's talking about. David is saying, I'm going to be so consumed with the Lord that I'm muttering, that I'm meditating, that my lips are even moving of the goodness of God, even in the midst of spiritual dryness. And notice where. He says, upon my bed. In the watches of the night, the the, the Jewish calendar had three different watches throughout the night. And he says, during that time, during the time that I'm on my bed, I will meditate. I will remember you. Why? When you stop and you think about it, you are never more vulnerable than you are when you're asleep. You're never more vulnerable because you're you're not conscious. Or when you're laying down and your mind is winding down, you're never more vulnerable. And David is saying here, I'm going to give you those moments. My most vulnerable moments, I'm going to think and meditate and mutter about you. Now, this is ironic. I did not plan this. But two weeks ago when I preached on Exodus, I challenged you to give the first thoughts of your day to the Lord. Do you remember that? When you woke up in the morning, give your first thoughts to the Lord. Well, now I get to challenge you. At the end of the day, give your last thoughts to the Lord. Why not, right? What do we think about when we're laying down? Well, we probably either think about the day that we had and you know, fill our mind with whatever went wrong, or we think ahead to what needs to be done the next day and we fret about it. Instead, why not fill our minds with the Lord? Why not, in a sense, fall asleep in the arms of the Lord? Why do you do this, David? Why do you spend so much mental energy on God? Look at verse 7. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. The reason I'm going to spend so much mental energy on God is because of what he has done. Earlier in verse four, he praised God for who he was in your name. Now he gets to what God has done for him. You have been my help. You do things for me that no one else can do that I can't even do for myself. You do them. And so I will praise you. So I will meditate on you. So I will remember you. So I will give you my mental energy because you are my help. I don't know what he was thinking about specifically. Maybe he was thinking about his victory over Goliath. Maybe if he's running from Absalom, maybe he's thinking about the fact that God delivered him from Saul. Maybe he's thinking about the forgiveness that he received after his failure with Bathsheba. We don't know. But he does call to mind that God is his help, that God delivers him. He says, in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. In the shadow of your wings... That's a term uh, also used in Psalm 57, and it means God's protective care. I doubt seriously that anyone in this room thinks that God has feathers. It's not what he's saying. He's using it as a metaphor for God's protective care. He says, in the shadow of your wings, like a bird protecting its young. Ironically enough, last spring, if if you've seen our house, you know we have this this porch. And last spring, we had these, these hanging flowers. They're dead now, by the way, but we had these hanging flowers and a bird came along and literally built her nest in one of those hanging flowers, laid her eggs and had her young. And it was really cool because when she would leave, we could actually take it down and look at the eggs or look at the chicks and then put it back up. And she had no idea, hopefully. But I remember one particular day, you know, birds can be territorial and there were other birds that were threatening her as they were flying around threatening and she just stood there. With her wings outstretched, protecting her young. And that's a beautiful picture of what God does for us. He stretches out his wings, he stretches out his hands, he shields us, he protects us. David is looking to his protector at a time of great need. He says, In the shadow of your wings, I will sing, another different word, by the way, ranak, I will exult, I will proclaim jubilantly. I will sing because I know that I'm in the shelter of your wings. I will proclaim jubilantly of who you are. No, I don't feel it. But that's not going to stop me from singing of who God is. One more verb, my soul, nefesh again, clings to you. My soul clings to you. The word debak, which means stick to, cleave to. That should spark a memory. It's the same word in Genesis 2.24 where it says the husband shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, the exact same word, my nephesh cleaves to you, cleaves to you. Can I ask you a weird question? Do you pursue God like a lover? You might think that's going too far, but is it? Let's look over these verbs again that that David uses. Praise, bless, remember, meditate, sing, cling. David is all consumed with God. The only other relationship that comes close to that is the relationship I have with my wife. Do you pursue God like a lover? Do you pursue God like this? I'm friends with many of you out there, with all of you really, But I don't pursue you guys like this. Be honest. I struggle to pursue my wife like this. Do you pursue God like a lover? What does God say in Deuteronomy? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Now, I'm not saying let's be romantic with the Lord. That is weird. But take the metaphor for what it is. Is he our everything? Do you pursue him like that? He says your right hand upholds me. The right hand was the hand that signified power and protection. So you get this beautiful picture of here of my soul, my flesh cleaves to you and your right hand upholds me. Intimately commune with God. Praise, bless, remember, meditate, sing, cling. I've been asking you all along, are you dry? Perhaps this week you can take one or more of those verbs and make it real in your life. How can you praise, bless, remember, meditate, sing, and cling to the Lord this week? Where is your place of most vulnerability that you can respond to the Lord as David did even if you don't feel it, even if you don't sense it? Intimately commune. With God. Sorry, my nefesh was dry. Verse 9. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. Now, if you're reading along, verse 9 almost feels a little unexpected. It feels like he's taking a little bit of a turn because we we start off with with David crying out to the Lord, oh God, you are my God, remembering him in the sanctuary, communing with him with these, these, these verbs that talk about how he communes with the Lord. And then we start talking about the enemies. What's going on here? David is making a contrast between him and those who are pursuing him. Now don't forget where David is. He is in the wilderness. He is fleeing for his life. Could be Saul, could be Absalom. But he says, Those who seek my life or those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. You see that word life there at the, at the middle of verse 9? Guess what word that is? Nefesh. Nefesh, those who seek my soul, those who want to bring me to utter ruin, those who don't want me to stop at being spiritually dry but want me to be completely dead, their lives will be destroyed. David is looking forward to the ultimate victory here. He says, instead of being ruined, I'm going to be victorious, and those who want me ruined will be dead. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth. The depths of the earth, that's a a phrase for Sheol there, the land of the dead. You can see the contrast here. He says, they want my nephesh destroyed, but my nephesh will be victorious and their nephesh will be obliterated. He says, they shall be given over to the power of the sword, which most likely refers to, to dying in battle. And they shall be a portion for jackals or scavengers. It wasn't bad enough in the Eastern world back then to die in battle. But when your body was left to scavengers, when your bones were scattered, that was a disgrace. What David is saying here is that I am going to come out of this but they will be ultimately disgraced. My nephesh will be satisfied. Their nephesh will be desecrated. Their plan for David will turn on them. Look at verse 11. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. But the king shall rejoice. There's a, there's a third person reference to himself. The king shall rejoice. David shall rejoice. Despite my circumstances, I will rejoice once again. My nephesh will be satisfied once again. It says, all who swear by him shall exalt, which is most likely, swear by him is most likely a, re- a reference to swearing to the Lord. It's a loyalty to the Lord. Those who are loyal to the Lord. They shall exalt. There's that word hallel again. They shall hallelujah. They shall boast in the Lord. Why? For the mouths of liars will be stopped. And then the psalm ends. It almost feels abrupt, does it not? But really what's going on here is he's making another contrast. He's saying, those who are loyal to the Lord, they're going to sing praise. Hallelujah. But those who are lying, they will be silenced. Now, the lying here, that's not merely telling a falsehood. Lying here is being used of those who are denying God. It says, those who are loyal to the Lord, they are going to say hallelujah, but those who deny the Lord, their mouths are going to be stopped. He's drawing a contrast here between those who are loyal and those who are liars. Again, another quote from Alan P. Ross. He says, and here we see the difference between the mouth that praises God and the mouth that forges lies. The first shall never be stopped, but shall sing forever. And the second shall be rendered speechless at the judgment of God. Now, Harvest, unless you are in the witness protection program, I doubt very much that you're literally running for your life. But we do have enemies, do we not? In fact, we have a great enemy. And what is his lie, ironically enough, his lie, or what, I'm sorry, what is his weapon? Ironically enough, his weapon is lies. And he uses his lies to drain your nefesh. Spiritual dryness sometimes can come when we listen to the lies of the evil one. What could David have said here? You think about it, David is running for his life after, after a life of mostly faithfulness to God. David had some failures and they were big, yes, but most, mostly faithfulness to God. And David comes to a point in his life where he's running again and he could have opened up this psalm and he could have said, oh God, where are you? He could have said, oh God, you are not my God. Oh God, you have abandoned me. But he says, oh God, you are my God. Why, here's point number three. In the the verses nine through 11, David is focused on future victory. So point number three, preach Christ's victory to yourself. When you are in a place of spiritual dryness, Preach Christ's victory to yourself. David remembers, David actually thinks ahead to the time when his nephesh will be satisfied once again. His enemies will be stopped. God will be victorious in his life. David remembers that and he looks ahead to Christ's victory. He does not believe the lies. I said we had an enemy. And he feeds us lies. So let me ask, what lies do you believe? At the heart of whatever you're struggling with, and we all struggle, but at the heart of our struggle, of our emotional struggles, at the heart of those is a lie. And at the heart of a lie is a failure to believe in something about God. Eve believed the snake. The fruit would make her like God. So she doubted God's goodness. What are the lies you're believing? You might be a workaholic, believing that your success will satisfy you. There's the lie. Which means that you doubt God will satisfy you. You might be all consumed with a special someone. Thinking to yourself, this will satisfy. Romance will satisfy. There's the lie. Which means that you doubt God's love will satisfy. We have our enemies, personal and major. And perhaps instead of crying out, oh God, you are my God, maybe you find yourself crying out, oh thing, you are my God. Oh, fill in the blank. You are my God. Oh, success, you are my God. Oh, money, you are my God. Oh, family, you are my God. Oh, education, you are my God. And you wonder why your NFS is so dry. Are you dry? Let's stop a minute and just think, what drains our soul anyway? How does our nefesh get to a point of spiritual dryness? We've hinted about it, but let's just lay it out. Personal choices can bring us to a point of spiritual dryness. If if we are lacking time in God's word, if we are lacking worship, if we are unrepentant of sin in our lives, that'll bring spiritual dryness for sure. Like David, circumstances, bad days... Big things like loss of a job, dealing with crazy kids all day, can bring us to a point of spiritual dryness. Sometimes it's people. Am I right? People can suck the life out of us and bring us to a point of spiritual dryness. Sometimes you don't know. Sometimes it might feel like you're even doing everything right and you've not sensing the Lord. What's going on there? Well, far be it from me to know what's on the mind of the Lord, but at times of spiritual dryness when we don't seem to have an answer for why, perhaps it's similar to the reason God told Abraham to offer Isaac. Now I know that you love me. For me, and not my presence and how I make you feel. Are you dry? In Matthew chapter four, another man was in a wilderness and he, like David, faced hunger. He, like David, was pursued by an enemy who tempted him three times. And he, like David, chose to be satisfied by the presence of God and not himself. But he, unlike David, silenced the enemy. He silenced the enemy in the wilderness when he said, be gone, Satan, for it is written you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve but he also silenced the enemy on the cross, defeating the enemy once and for all. See, Jesus, Jesus took on the ultimate spiritual dryness for you and me. Jesus who lived a perfect life, Jesus who should have never Experienced spiritual dryness, took on the ultimate spiritual dryness by being separated from his father. Jesus, who was perfect, by the way, Jesus, who should have had the greatest life because he always pleased the Father, was spiritually sucked dry. Why? So that you and I can also say, Be gone, Satan, because I remember the presence of the Lord. Be gone, Satan, because I intimately commune with my Savior. Be gone, Satan, because I believe Christ is victorious. Like David, we too can cry out, "O oh God, you are my God. Let's pray. Oh God, you are our God. And earnestly we seek you. Our soul thirsts for you. Our flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary place where there is no water. So come, Lord Jesus, and satisfy. May those in this room who are dry sense your presence once again. May those in this room who are full also sense your presence And no matter where we are in our lives, may our eyes turn to you and cry out, oh God, you are my God in the good and in the bad, in the satisfied and in the dry. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Jesus, we turn to you the only one we know to turn to the only one who is worthy satisfy our nefesh it's in Jesus name we pray